Good morning, church. How's everybody? Good. Well, as Michael said, we are in the second week of a five-week series uh, called The Gospel of Wholeness. And just by way of reminder, each week builds on the prior week. I'm going to do a review of last week, so hopefully those who are just jumping in today will have been caught up. I do want to mention, though, that if you miss a week, we have the, uh, each of the sermons on our website. So if you go to the, the Vineyard Church of Delaware County website under resources, you can listen to a sermon if you missed it. It's helpful if you, if you are, are caught up with what has already been covered. As I said, each week we'll build on the, the previous week. Let me, let me go ahead and just in, in a very short order share a little bit of the, 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 the crux of what I talked about last week, just to catch people up and by way of reminder. Last week, we sort of defined what the gospel of wholeness is. And what, what I said is the gospel of wholeness is a, a practical theology of sanctification. And I broke that down. What that means is that the, the gospel of wholeness is is practical in that it's able to be used. It's not just theory. It's something that can be applied to our everyday life. And I, I fully expect by the end of the series, you will see the, the practical nature and hopefully we'll be applying the gospel of wholeness to your everyday life. It's a practical theology in that it has to do with who God is, how we come to relate to God and to know God. And it's about sanctification, and sanctification is just the biblical term that refers to the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the biblical term that refers to this, this change process where we're conformed to the image of Christ. So the gospel of wholeness is a usable, practical, uh, applicable uh, teaching, it's, it's an equipping series on how we connect to God and become more and more like him. One of the things that I, I talked about last week is that I think for most evangelical churches, we are far more equipped, we are far more knowledgeable, we understand far better how to lead somebody into a relationship with Christ but we, we are somewhat less confident that we can help individuals know how to become more and more like Christ. You know, I gave the example of that fictitious neighbor who you might have who comes to the door and he, he shares with you that he, he wants to come into a relationship with God. He has anger problems. He has uh, an addiction to, to stealing. He's a kleptomaniac. We, I think, as a, a church, and I, again, I know just speak of this church, but I think the, the Western church, we are, are pretty well equipped in knowing how to lead that angry kleptomaniac to Christ. But if he comes back to us a, a month later, or six months later, a year later, and says, I, I know Christ, I, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm following Christ, but I'm still 
having this difficulty with stealing. I still see myself falling into this continual pattern of anger. That's where I believe we are less equipped. And more often than not, we just hand that person off to the professional. But the scriptures make it clear that we ought to be equipped not just to help someone come into a relationship with Christ, but to come alongside one another and help them to grow in their relationship with Christ, to be transformed by Christ. And that's where the gospel of wholeness fits in. It's just simply a biblical presentation, a practical presentation of how we help ourselves and others to grow in conformity with Christ. We talked last week that the, the normal Christian life is not so much a life of, of sin management, just trying to, to lessen the bad stuff and increase the good stuff in our life. The normal Christian life is not a life of sin management, but we defined the normal Christian life by, by three things. We said it's starts with intimacy with Christ, which results in dependency upon Christ, and ultimately, obedience to Christ. That as we come to understand God's love for us, as we understand his unconditional favor towards us, and grace towards us, and, and forgiveness towards us, that he is, that he is by very, his very nature towards us, we realize that there's this invitation into intimacy. And the more we understand that, with that as a foundation, it's the most natural thing we begin to depend on him, to lean on him, to have faith in him. And out of that intimacy that he offers, out of that dependency which demonstrates in our lives his faithfulness, we naturally respond by wanting to obey him. That order, intimacy, dependency, and obedience, remember we talked about, can't be reversed. We can't allow ourselves to be fooled into thinking that if I obey, then he will allow me to draw close. If I disobey, then he turns his back. If I disobey, then I have to, have to somehow prove myself before he invites me to draw near. When I raised my children, I didn't tell them, if you obey me, I love you. If you obey me, I'm there for you. If you disobey me, there's going to be sort of a time out of relationship. There might be a time out. But it's not a time out of relationship. It's not a banning. It's not a shunning. It's not a pushing them away until they prove themselves that my love is unconditional. And the more they understand that, the more a person will naturally want to please. So intimacy with Christ results in dependency, ultimately results in obedience. That's, that's the order. So... Today, what I want to do is I want to get into the actual practical, at least begin the practical laying out of what is the gospel of wholeness. And again, the gospel of wholeness is, is just simply, we're going to be talking over the next four weeks, eight, we're going to look at eight different verses, 
each verse will have a, a key concept that is brought out by that verse. It's just a way of explaining how one is transformed into Christ, how we can grow in Christ. And as I said, this is an equipping series. It's not just to give information, it's to give practical truth that we can apply to our lives. So there are eight verses with eight key concepts. In the tables in the back, I don't know if how many of you grabbed uh, one or two when you came in, but we, we not only have last week's uh, outline, if you wish, but we also have some cards. And on those cards, uh, we, I have the eight verses with the key concepts. Grab one or two, keep it with you, help it to allow it to help you just be, be steeped in the, in the biblical truth and to maybe use it to help somebody else. So today, we're going to go over the first two verses in the Gospel of Wholeness and, uh, and begin to build that, that framework. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I ask that you would come this morning, give me uh, clarity of, of speech and thought. Lord, allow me to, to clearly lay out uh, not something that I've come up with, but your truth that you have revealed to us, uh, allow us to be equipped that we can grow in our relationship and that we can come alongside others and encourage them to, to be all that you've created them to be as well. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the first verse that we're going to look at is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, okay? Let me go ahead and, and read that passage, familiar passage with many of you. Uh, you'll remember prior to this little passage, God had created uh, Adam and Eve, called them to his purposes, which was to be fruitful and to multiply and to, to bring his purposes and his, his will from heaven to earth. Now, we pick up in verse 6 where it says, When the woman, and, and you also remember that one of the instructions that God gave to Adam and Eve is you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for that one in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. So, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree uh, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put in, in here with me, she gave me from the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
So what we have here is, is what theologians would refer to as a passage that, that describes the fall. The fall of humanity where we, for the first time as we'll see, broke from conforming our will and our desires with God's will. This was when sin entered the world, the, the, the original sin. So the, as we talk about the gospel of wholeness, we start with this concept that sin is the issue that must be addressed both in salvation and sanctification. Okay, sin is the issue that has to be addressed both as we think about salvation, how we come into a relationship with Christ, but sin also has to be addressed in, how, in, in understanding how we grow into conformity with Christ. There was something that happened in that fall, in, in that chapter that's described in that chapter, that utterly affected every single one of us, affected all of humanity forever. I remember I, remember I had a, uh, a, a seminary professor, and he said something extraordinarily profound and pithy. He said, whatever man toucheth, he screweth up. And it, it, it's true. It, it is true. So the, the process of sanctification, it's not sin management, but it has to deal with this, this issue of the fall and the, the outworking of that. And, and let me give a, a disclaimer here to the, the gospel of wholeness. What I'm saying is that if the problem that we're dealing with isn't entirely an issue of uh, physiology, you know, it's not totally having to do with some physical condition, some disease we have, and most of our, our, our problems as far as being broken in this life aren't simply an issue of, of physiology. And if the problem isn't totally an issue of the demonic, you know, we believe there are spirits, we, we believe there are demons, and, and, uh, and we believe, and the Bible teaches, that they can affect us. But, if it, but rarely do we find any situation in our life that we can totally blame on the demonic. Usually it's a sort of a concert of, of temptation and our giving in and our, our own flesh cooperating with the enemy. Well, if it's not utterly physiologically uh, rooted, and if it's not totally demonic, then it is going to be an issue of sin that we need to address. So the key concept, let me get back to that, the key concept for the, uh, this first verse in Genesis 3, uh, 6 through 13, the key concept is sin is the common problem. Okay? Sin is the common problem. And we're talking about sins that we commit, but we're also talking about sins committed against us. It needs to be dealt with. If we're going to grow in our relationship with Christ, we need to be equipped. We need to learn what the scriptures say of how we deal with our sin, how we deal with sins committed against us, so that we can, in ever-increasing ways, be conformed to God's image. And I might add that it's not just our sins and sins committed against us, but it's also we need to learn that we must deal with our sinful responses to sins that are committed against us. In other words, 
maybe you grew up, maybe we grew up in a, in a, a very dysfunctional home, an abusive home. We were ridiculed, we were, we were hurt in that home. And as a result of that sin committed against us, we have developed certain responses to the sin. We use anger to keep people away from us. You know, we may have learned that if I, if I lash out with anger, it backs people off so they can't hurt me. Or, or maybe the other side of the spectrum is what we've learned is if we just become utterly passive, never speak up, never give our opinion, fly under the radar all the time. If that becomes our rule of life, we've learned, well, by doing that, if I say nothing, if I do nothing, people won't pick on me. They won't tell me I've done something wrong. But either way, it's just a, a sinful response to a sin committed against us. Does that make sense? So over these next number of weeks, we're going to learn precisely how do we deal with those so those patterns, whether it's the effect of sins that are committed against us, the, the pattern of sin or addictions in our life or sinful responses to things that have happened to us, we're going to learn how to find freedom from that. That's where we're headed. That's, that's what the, the gospel of, of wholeness is. So when sin entered the world, we need to recognize it resulted in a fracturing of relationships in, in three areas. It really messed things up. We, we recognize that when sin entered the world, number one, it, it fractured our relationship with God. Before the fall, before what we read in Genesis chapter 3, before the fall, there was perfect communion between God and humanity. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Their, their desires, their will was consistent with his purposes. In fact, before the fall, there was one will in the universe. And that was God's will. And it wasn't because Adam and Eve had no ability to exercise their will. Certainly they did. But it's because they conformed their will gladly with God's will. What is your purposes, Father? And they would walk in his purposes. They'd walk in his plans before the fall. After the fall, it fractured that, that relationship with God. So all of a sudden, we read earlier that God comes into the garden in the cool of the day. And what did Adam and Eve do? They hid. God comes into the garden and rather than, as had been the custom, Adam and Eve and God would walk together and commune together and be one together, relationally, God comes into the garden and Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. And God says, where are you? Now, it wasn't because he couldn't find him. He, he's God. He goes, where are you? And I believe what he, what he was doing for Adam and Eve and what he does for, for us regularly, what he does in my life oftentimes, is he'll, he'll ask me when I'm sort of walking off my own, going my own way, when I'm veering from walking with him, 
And so he'll ask me that question. Where are you, Danny? What are you doing, Danny? So that I would pause and I would take note and I could recognize what's happening. That's one of the roles in the, the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit, to bring conviction, the ability to, to be self-aware and to recognize where we are, what we're doing or what we're not doing. So we asked them, where are they? Because they were hiding. He wanted them to be aware of that. He wanted them to see that for the first time, they were choosing their own will over and above wanting to walk in God's will and his purposes. It fractured the relationship with God. Sin also fractured the relationship with other human beings. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were in perfect harmony with each other. They were at perfect peace with each other. There was, there was unity between the two of them. You know, on, on weekends, Eve would say, Adam, why don't you watch some football? Let me, let me get your, you know, your, your favorite slippers here. Watch football all afternoon if you want. And Adam would, would turn to Eve and say, you know, Eve, here, here's three credit cards. Go to the mall. Have fun. I mean, if you read in the, in the margins, that's what happened. <laughs> but all seriousness, before the fall, there was unity, there was oneness, there was a, a willingness to, to encourage and to, to, to love one another and to together walk with God. What happened after the fall? That relationship between Adam and Eve was fractured. Sin affected that relationship. All of a sudden, God says first to, to Adam, what is this that you've done? And what does Adam do? This woman, who you gave me, she gave me, from, gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. All of a sudden, when there had been unity prior to the fall, there was disunity. There was a fracturing of that relationship. God says to Eve, what is it that you've done? Well, don't look at me, that serpent who, inferring who you created, the serpent tempted me. Deceived me, and I ate. So from being unified prior to the fall, when sin entered the world, all of a sudden there was blame shifting and disunity. The fall and sin is the, the common problem in, in this life because it affects our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with one another, and it affects our relationship with ourselves. Before the fall... Apparently, they were naked and unashamed. You know, it all hung out there, but no problem. They were comfortable within their own skin. They knew who they were. They knew why they were. Things were fine. All of a sudden, the fall occurs, sin enters the world, and they are keenly aware there is something broken within me. They're, they're very aware there's something that is causing me shame, causing me guilt, something I want to hide from God, from, from others, and, and from myself. You know, it, we've, we've all been in those situations, not where we've been naked and unashamed, perhaps. I, I hate mirrors. The, but we, 
we've all been in situations where we recognize that, man, I'm, I'm going in, in a wrong direction, and we, we're uncomfortable with ourselves. We know there's something that we just are not pleased with. We just don't want others to see, and we don't even want to look at it ourselves. We want to cover ourselves up. Adam and Eve's answer was to sew fig leaves together as if that was going to deal with their, their sh- the shame of, of the fall. So suffice it to say, sin is the common problem that has to be dealt with, both when we're talking about salvation and when we're talking about sanctification, growing with Christ, because it, it affects our relationships. God with others, and with ourselves. So the gospel of Christ is good news. The reason it's good news is because it deals with, it addresses brokenness in all three areas. And and I I might add that the poverty of of a secular approach in counseling and helping one another is that it fails to address the core problem of sin. And because of this, the results of, a, of an approach that ignores the issue of sin is that it's going to either be temporary, any fruit, or, or it's going to be external. It's just going to be try harder and just change the outside. And it's not going to be integrated with what we see in the scriptures, which is a, an approach that brings eternal change ongoing change from the inside out. You know, the, uh, most, and even within many Christian uh, books, and we, we tend to want to avoid this topic of sin. You know, so, so nowadays you don't even use that, that term. You know, we talk about behavioral problems. We talk about, you know, difficulties. We talk about quirkiness. We, we talk about uh, relational tension. If you talked about sin, you know, people would think you're just weird with sin. They, who talks about that anymore? That's something for, for back in the 1800s. They used to talk about sin a lot, but, you know, we, we've advanced. But sin is the common problem. And if we if we talk about relational problems and quirkiness and, and, and difficulties, what happens is we fail to use the term that the scriptures use because the scriptures don't, there's not a verse in this book that talks about how to deal with quirkiness. There's not a verse in this book that says here's how you deal with marital tension. There's a lot in this book that give us the good news of how to deal with the consequences of sin. This is good news that the scriptures address the common problem of sin. You with me so far? Good. So, first verse, where is it? Genesis 3, 6 through 13. And what is the key concept of that first verse? The common problem is sin, or sin is a common problem. Second verse. The second verse just elaborates on this first one. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. We have it up on the screen. Listen to what, 
what God says through his prophet Jeremiah, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures. It says, my people have committed actually two sins. We could sum up everything by saying we, we've really only committed two sins. We forsake, uh, God says, they've forsaken me. We've forsaken God. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug, for their, uh, they have dug their own cisterns they're broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God says, listen, here, I'll sum it up. Here's the, the, the issue, that humanity has forsaken God, who is what? How does he describe himself? He's the spring of living water. It is God who says, I, I give life. I give refreshment, I give hope, I give peace. I'm the source of, of security. I'm the source of your identity. I'm the source of all that you need to live life and live it fully and abundantly. He says, I am living water. I give life. But he says, you've forsaken me. You've turned from me. But it's not just that we turn from him. What, what have we done? The second part is, and you've begun to, to dig these cisterns, but they're, you're looking for water. You're looking for life apart from him, but he says they're broken. They cannot hold living water. See, put it this way. Only God is able to say, I am that I am. Only God finds his worth, his value, his identity, his purpose, his hope, his peace from within his own being. One of his names is I am that I am. Not one of us can say that. All we can say is I am because he is. Our life, our peace, our hope, our identity, our purpose, our value comes from God, knowing him and having him speak into us and release us into the purposes and plans and identity that he's given us. So you can see the dilemma. If sin, the common problem that we deal with, is summed up by having abandoned the one who gives us life, having turned from the one who provides peace and hope and value and worth, identity and so on. That's bad enough, but what we've done is we begin, apart from God, to try to find life. And the reality is this, every single one of us are looking for life apart from God. All of us, to some degree or another. The broken cisterns that are spoken of in, in Jeremiah 2.13 are simply our sins of choice. All of us have sins of choice. All of us have counterfeit ways that we are trying to find what only God can provide. Each of us have our favorites. We can go around the room right now and, and have 
everybody stand up and say, here's what I've looked to to try to find my worth. Here's what I go to to try to find peace. Here's what I, I go to to try to find security or identity. We, we, maybe we'll do that. Okay, we'll start. No. We, but it's true. I, I know my sins of choice. You probably are aware of yours. The, the odd thing is we all look at the other person's sins of choice. We look at the other person's, you know, broken cisterns and think, how foolish that is. Look at this person turning to, to drugs or alcohol. That, that's just silly. But we don't recognize that we turn to possessions to give ourselves identity or peace. You know, we, we look down our noses at the other person's sin of choice and we find ourselves oblivious or perfectly comfortable with our own. But these empty wells are si simply counterfeit means of attempting to get what only God can give. Peace, hope, purpose, identity, value, acceptance, worth, There's a, a book, actually, it's out on a book cart. Excellent book, if you want to pick it up, by Larry Crabb called Finding God. But listen to what, what Crabb says in his book. Sin is simply our effort to supplement what we think are deficiencies in God's goodness. It is trusting in ourselves instead of trusting God. That, that's all sin is. God, I don't believe that you can give me what will bring peace. So I'm going to find it over here. God, I, I don't believe that, that my worth comes from knowing you and, and drawing near to you and responding to that invitation into intimacy. So I'm going to find it elsewhere. I'm going to begin to dig and rummage around this world to try to find what, what only God can give. Our broken cisterns are, are just empty wells which will never provide what God can only give. No matter how deep or how many empty wells we dig. In fact, the key concept for this second verse, Jeremiah 2.13, the key concept, you could fill it in, is empty wells. We all have them. See, if I wanted to paint a picture of my life, your life, a, a word picture, here's what our lives would look like. Now, for some of us, if, you, if, if our life was represented by a field, a large field, we would see in that field all these shallow holes, hundreds of them, all these empty wells that we began to try to find life and purpose only to find, oh, this isn't working. And we, we climb out of that little hole and go start something else. 
You know, it's, it's a relationship with this person. That's what's going give to me, give me hope and peace or identity. Uh, that's not working. You know, it, it, it's going to be that new car. Yeah, that's what I need. And we get the new car, and eventually the new car smell goes and it gets a scratch, and uh, that's not working. Oh, it, it, it's going to be this degree or whatever that's going to give me purpose and value. And, and we, if we look at our life, we could just say, I've gone from one counterfeit way of trying to get peace or identity or hope or security to another simply because I have not believed that God could provide it. So I'll supplement it on my own because he's holding out on me. Now for others of us, there's our life, this large field. And in the center of the field is this beautiful, deep, well-constructed well. I mean, it is, the, the sides are crisp. There's boards holding it up. There's, this, there's a white picket fence around that well. Flowers are planted because we have been pursuing and that empty well for all of our life. Because we're convinced. You know, I, I may not have peace and hope and identity and security yet, but it's in there, and I'm going to stick with it, whether it's possessions or career or relationships, and we just pursue that because we are disciplined. But whether we have a hundred different little attempts to find life apart from Christ, or whether we're the one that, that really sticks with one or two areas, there's a common thing, and that is that it's empty. That it does not, it cannot provide what only Christ can give us. So when we look in our culture at what some popular empty wells are, I mean, they're all over the place. You know, food can be an empty well. You know, when, when I get stressed, when I'm feeling like my life is, is unraveling, I can turn to food. You know, and it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside for a while. Except I get bigger. It's just a, a sin of choice. It's an empty well. Uh, we could turn to drugs. We can turn to alcohol. We could look to relationships. If I can have a relationship with that person, because I esteem them, then it makes me feel like I have worth and value. Our career, our work can be an empty well. Our possessions can be empty wells. Counterfeit ways to get what God wants to give. The pursuit of, of higher education could be an empty well. If I could just get more titles and more letters after my name, that will make me something. That will establish me. Ministry. Now we're stepping on toes. Mine. Ministry can be an empty well if I'm trying to find my identity, my worth, my value from ministry or from serving. You see, empty wells are just counterfeit ways of trying to get what God wants to give. I, I believe, really, if we wanted to follow this course, we could say what depression is, is coming to a place where either we've dug that one so deep or so many 
other ones that, that haven't produced life, that we just take the shovel, throw it on the ground, sit in the dirt, and, and just feel like things are hopeless. This is worthless. I just can't find life, no matter how hard I try. Why? Jeremiah 2.13. We've abandoned God, who is the spring of life. He gives life, value, worth, purpose, hope, peace, security, identity, etc. And we've abandoned him, and we have just gone to our, our sin of choice. So what is our job? Our job is to, to identify and abandon our empty wells. And as we come alongside our others with great grace, helping them to see perhaps that they're trying to find life through counterfeit means apart, apart from God. Now, I don't know if I said this or if I skipped it. Well, I didn't skip it, so I'm going to go on. It's coming up. Let me give another picture of what I'm talking about. One way we could look at, at this whole phenomena of the effect of sin and, and brokenness in our lives is when we start our life, every one of us, there are certain things that are probably put into place pretty well growing up and in our relationship with others, etc., etc. And we could say it's sort of like building a, a wall. Put that first slide up. So much of the wall is in place, but, but for every one of us, there's, there's always something missing because by definition, we all live in a fallen world, dysfunctional homes. It's, it's all relative, but it's all dysfunctional. So in all of our lives, there's no perfect home, there's no perfect school, there's no perfect set of friends, etc., etc. There's something missing. So as life continues, what we find, put the second slide up, is that there begins to be evident a cave-in. We might have been aware of that in our high school days or before then or after then, but in all of our lives, as we grow, we recognize there are certain areas that aren't working quite right, where there's a cave-in, where, where we realize there's some, there's some need that's, that's and something missing. We continue to, to grow and continue to see much of our life might be fine, but we realize, no, there's this evidence that there's something wrong. Maybe we are prone to anger. Maybe there are, are addictions. Maybe it's, it's trying to suck life out of, another, out of another person. But we see there's something missing and broken in our lives. So what do we do? We walk around our life looking for this. We're looking for something or someone that is shaped like that that will fill in what we know is missing, what we know is broken. Just another way of, of expressing this, this issue of, of empty wells, counterfeit ways of trying to, to find what only God can give. And see, let me add, what, what the world does is because, again, it doesn't want to talk about sin, all of our empty wells, it puts some nice name to it so we don't have to feel too guilty or, or uh, we, we don't have to deal with this issue of sin. You know, when we talk about the empty well of food, you know, it's just an eating disorder. Or uh, drugs, it's, it's an addiction, which is really, 
it's just a disease. Or relationships, we call it, we don't want to say, well, you have the sin of, of trying to find life from a relationship. We say codependency. It's not quite as of, uh, intrusive when we say codependency as if to say that I, that I might have a problem with, with sin trying to suck life out of other people. Or if it's career, we call that Empty well, work, those people workaholics. If it's possession, we call it materialism. If it's, you name it, we just have a nice name that we can call it so we don't have to say it's sin. But sin is the common problem, and if we don't deal with sin, then we, we fail to deal with the, the issue that is at the core of the good news of why Jesus came. We must be careful also not to in, uh, not to inadvertently help other people build better empty wells. You know, a person comes to us and they, they say, I don't know what it is, but my friends keep on pushing me away and I lose friendships. And we say, well, talk to me about that. What, 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 how, why do they, they push you away? He says, well, they say that I'm, that I'm overwhelming them. And they say, I, I'm one of the best friends I could possibly ever be. I mean, I, I usually call people two or three times a day. I'm sending them texts throughout the day. I leave little notes under the windshield wiper on their car at work. I, you know, I'm, I'm a great friend. And we say, oh, I see the problem. And what we do is we tell them, why don't you for now on just back off a little bit. Don't call them except for maybe once a week. Enough of the notes under the windshield wipers. One text a day. That's it. And inadvertently, what we've done is we've sim simply helped them build a better empty well rather than addressing the core, rather than saying, you know, could it be perhaps that you're trying to find life from, this re from relationships rather than trying and learning how to find life from Christ? And what we've done is we've, we, we've prevented the well from maybe caving in not realizing, but it still can't hold water. It's broken. It's empty. And oftentimes, our empty wells are neither good nor bad in and of themselves. It's our attempt to find living water in the empty well that is sin. In other words, there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with school. There's nothing wrong with, with, with friendships. There's nothing wrong with ministry. There's nothing wrong with service. What the problem is, is when we try to find life through those things. You with me? So we're called to practice the presence of God, but because of the fall, we no longer practice the presence of the Creator, but instead we practice the presence of the created. This is why Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Paul recognized where his life came from. In fact, I think it's in Colossians. He says, in speaking of Christ, he says, Christ, who is my life? And what we're going to be talking about over these next three weeks, in very practical terms, especially the last two weeks, we are going to learn those skills, those those that way in which not only can we lay the shovel down, having identified and then abandoning our empty well, how to turn around and how to practically, through skills that we can learn, connect with Christ, 
so that we can begin to experience that connection. This is not going to be just let's identify the problem and then go try to get close to God. You know, go sit on top of a mountain. Go, go do this or that and, and, and hope that somehow God will go, come close. But like I said last week, just like in marriage, we can learn skills that will help us connect with our spouse. We could learn communication techniques that could help us hear and listen and communicate better. And it's the same way with the Lord. There are skills that we're going to be talking about that you will be able to apply that will help you not just abandon an empty well, but practically and and in increasing manner learn to receive from God what only he can give. Okay? So wholeness is achieved by a restoration of our right relationship with God. That's where we're headed. So just by way of review, the first verse, where do we find it? Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 13, and the common, or the, uh, the key concept is the common problem is sin. The second verse of the gospel of holiness is where? Jeremiah 2.13. Paraphrase it. It says we've all committed two sins. The first is we've abandoned God. And who's he? He's the spring of living water. He's the giver of life. And having abandoned him, what have we done? We're beginning to find, try to find life apart from him, living water apart from him. And the key concept of Jeremiah 2.13 is empty wells. You're almost a quarter of the way there. We're going well. Why don't you stand up? Let's, let's have the worship team come forward. Here, here's how I want to finish up. We have about five minutes. Here's what I believe God wants to do today. I, 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 I'm quite certain there are a number of us, as, we, as we've been talking about this concept of, of empty wells, counterfeit ways of trying to get what only God can give, some of us are, are recognizing the, those patterns in our life. But it's been something that we have maybe recognized much of our life, but we feel like there, there's no overcoming this addiction or this pattern or, or this, this behavior. It, it's just grips me so much. I believe God today wants to give hope. You know, so I'm going to invite individuals who feel like you're just stuck you're just stuck in those patterns to come forward and just say, Jesus, I, I, I lay the shovel down, but won't you set me free? I believe God will meet us today. I also believe the Lord wants to continue to, to bring healing for those who are sick here today, come forward. And, and also, I, I believe that there are people here today who have been dealing with great stress, personal stress. And, and for many, it's... it's it's because of circumstances in your life and you just need some hope. You need just to have, have Christ come and again remind you that he's in control. So whether you're dealing with stress, whether you want to just acknowledge some, some empty well and ask him to set you free, whether you have a physical condition, come forward. Let's make sure that everybody that comes to the front has someone praying for him. Why don't you come up right now?
As people come up, make sure you have someone praying for them. Just put your hand on their shoulders. Ask Jesus to come. Give them grace. We need a couple of, of men, two or three men. We need some women coming up. Father, we just invite you to come right now. Lord, we, we understand that, that apart from you, there, there isn't life or identity or peace. Lord, we, we recognize that we've tried to, to dig our empty wells, to find counterfeit ways, alternative ways to find life. We ask, Father, that you would be setting us free break the power of sin and Lord allow us to be a, a, a church a people that are equipped to not only walk away from the, the empty wells but equip us Lord that we would know how to connect from you how to receive life from you how to see your hand open towards us giving us what but only can come from you. So Father, come and, and have your way in this church family. Equip us, Lord, not only for our sake, our family's sake. Equip us so that we can come alongside others. We bless you, Lord. You are the giver of life. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, if, let me just remind you on the tables at the back of the, by the doors, there are those cards. Feel free to grab one or two and uh, just become, begin to get familiar with the different verses. We're going to go over them over these next three weeks. And uh, don't forget, we'll see you next Sunday or Saturday night for uh, the next installment. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.